What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Amen. Hey, go ahead and lift your hand if you need a Bible. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. I just want to encourage you, if you uh, feel led or if you know somebody that feels led, we're taking applications for Project 516 right now. And uh, there'll be a table that is uh, set up outside. Kevin and Dylan, our two leaders, will be running it. And so they're there to answer any questions. If you know somebody um, that really, really uh, wants an experience of of life transformation, uh, please let us know. Uh, It's a 10-month program uh, where you move into... Uh, the inner city, you serve, uh, you get up, you prayer walk, you memorize scripture, you get uh, poured into, into, discipled, and are healing, and there's just a lot of amazing things that happen, and Joseph's life, where he came from, and uh, what he has overcome, uh, he's on staff now in full-time ministry, by the way, and so God has just transformed his life, and that is Christian normal, not Christian abnormal. And so in one year, you can go from, man, life kind of falling apart to being, being used by God in full-time ministry. And so it's what our God does. It's what our God does. It's who he is. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, turn to Revelation 5. Revelation 5. And let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are in this place. Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would just fall. God, we pray for all of us to lay hold of these truths that are in this text today. May this become our reality. May this become our focus. May a true revelation just take root in our lives, God, so that we walk differently. Jesus, you said you've come to give abundant life. You said, Jesus, that you overcame the world. Your word declares that Satan has been defeated. Your word declares that you defeated sin, you defeated death in the grave. And you are victorious. Your word declares that we are seated with you in heavenly places. That we are victorious. Your victory is our victory. May we be a people that walk in that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, and, 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 and by the way, just to give you kind of a, a glimpse of where we are as far as review, uh, chapter 1, Jesus shows up in, to John, who's in prison on the island of Patmos, and, uh, and so God comes and brings this book of Revelation and, and reveals, and he's caught up in the Spirit, and he begins to see things. In chapters 2 and 3, it talks about the church age. And then at the end of the church age, in the seven churches, you see chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4 and chapter 5, chapter 4 is worshiping the Father. Chapter 5 is worship of the Son. And so we get a glimpse into what heaven is like. And this is the most descriptive passages of Scripture of heaven that we have. And again, God's heart is to reveal, not to conceal. That's why the book of Revelation is called the Revelation. The Revelation. Your dad loves you. He wants to reveal things to you. So verse 1. Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and a scroll within, written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there. I want you to turn to Ezekiel 2. Ezekiel 2. And I'd like you to see this because I believe this is the same scroll that was listed in the Old Testament that Father God has in his hand. 
And so it's going to be important because we get a deeper description of this from the Old Testament. And so Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9, it says this. It says, And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of the book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. And if, if you would, please, I'd like you to highlight lamentation, mourning, and woe. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's really, really bad. It's like, whoa, not whoa, bro, whoa. No, it's like, whoa. Like something's ba- something really, really horrible is about to happen. All right? And this scroll is in the hand of Father God who is seated on the throne. There's a scroll in his hand. Now, let's go back to Revelation. Revelation 5. You're always going to be in Revelation 5. Wherever we go today, you're going to come back to Revelation 5. These seals are lamentation, mourning, and woe. These are the seals, if you want to flip ahead to chapter 6, they're going to start being broken off by the Lamb. These seals should be something that is greatly to be feared, especially today if you're not born again. If you've never given your life to Christ, chapter 6 through pretty much the end is going to describe these seals and these scrolls. These, this scroll represents God's divine judgment and justice that he's going to measure out perfectly. Understand this, that the Lamb of God, who is Jesus, he took the wrath of God on the cross. He suffered injustice. And those who will not bow down to Jesus, those who will not be ruled by Jesus, he's going to measure out perfect divine judgment and justice on them. And that's what this scroll represents. This scroll represents the comprehensive program of God. The scroll contains the purposes and the plans of God, describing in detail how the world will end. And it describes in detail the history of the universe that has already been written. This is how it's going to go down. Chapter 6, on. It's all in the scroll. Now, sometimes we hold bitterness, resentment, anger, because people have afflicted us. People have hurt us. People have done evil things to us. And it is understandable, but when God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay, that means on this side, we don't get to repay evil for evil. Some of us don't like that. We want to go Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, bro. I'm not turning the other cheek. I'm Old Testament believer. We want justice. We want justice. We want someone to be judged for what they did to me. I'm not letting them go. I'm not letting them go free. Listen, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And what we're about to read next week, starting in chapter 6, talks about the justice and the vengeance and the judgment from God that's coming. Now, here's a question for you. If God has a detailed plan of how he's going to judge and bring justice on his enemies, imagine the kind of plans that he has for you. You're his child. You're his child, right? We know that he has plans for us, not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. I want you to turn to John chapter 10, please, because I want you to see this here. To me, this is 
amazing, right? We saw last week on the, the throne, lightnings, flashings of thunder, right, and rumbling, so there's the terror of God. But then we also saw the, the, the rainbow with the, with the different um, uh, uh, stones that were shining, right? So you have the beauty of God and you have the wrath of God mixed together. But here, 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 we have the scroll in one hand, but what's in his other hand? What's in his other hand? Well, look at what Jesus says that's in his other hand. John 10, 26. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So here is why they killed Jesus, because Jesus, being man, was claiming to be one with God, basically saying, I am God. And we're going to see this in Revelation uh, 5.13, where the Lamb and Father God are receiving worship. And so Jesus is saying, the Father has you in his hand. He has wrath and justice and judgment in the scroll in one hand. But those of you who are born again, you're in his other hand. He has you. He has you. Despite your mistakes, despite your faults, he has you. And he says, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. and Nothing can snatch you out of my father's hand. I don't know about you, but man, that's encouraging. Hallelujah. He is faithful even when we're not faithful. And so my question for you is this. Have you surrendered your life to him, placing all of your life into his hands? Have you surrendered everything into his hands? Everything. Do you know during the Crusades when they used to baptize some of the crusaders, the crusaders, they would go underwater, but they would keep their sword out of the water because they didn't want that to be baptized. Do you know in America, when we go underwater, usually our wallet stays up? I didn't get an amen. Yeah, that was funny, guys. I surrender all. It's not all my money. It's all in your hands, God. It's all in your hands. Listen to this verse, Romans 8, 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God gave his only son for you. And so to surrender is a beautiful thing. Verse 2, Revelation 5. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. We can't really understand this feeling that he had. It's a feeling where there's absolutely no hope. No one's worthy. We're done. It's over. Game over. There's no hope. It's like the Dolphins losing their last game. But then the franchise moves somewhere. There's no hope to ever watch the Lord's team again. In all seriousness, listen, this is the kind of hopelessness that one's going to feel in hell. In hell. Jesus said of hell, there's going to be a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. While the worm does not die in the fire, it's not quenched. Hell is eternal, and hell is going to be a place, listen, where you're going to remember, right? If, if somebody here goes to hell, 
You're going to remember this moment for all of eternity. For this guy saying, hey, surrender to the Father who didn't spare his one and only son, but gave everything up for you. How much more does he want to give you? Nothing can snatch you out. And, and there's a hardening of heart. No, no, I don't want to surrender. No, I don't want to follow. No, I don't want to bow down. No, I don't want to deny myself. No, no, no. And all throughout eternity, there's this place of torment where Jesus says there's a weeping and gnashing of teeth where there's no hope, no hope, no hope of ever getting out because you rejected the Savior who died on the cross. You rejected, you rejected, and it's hopeless. And there's going to be weeping and wailing. And this is what John was feeling he was weeping like one with no hope if you're born again you'll only die once but if you're not born again you're gonna die twice and the first time you're gonna die you're gonna go before the judgment of God And he's going to say, why should I let you in? And when you start, I was a good person, or I went to church, and I did this, and I did that, and I, 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 I. Listen, no. Here's what I'm going to say. When he says, why should I let you in, I'm going to say, you shouldn't, Father. Because I'm wretched through and through. There is no one that is righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I deserve wrath. I deserve hell. I deserve. But you know what I've done, Father, is I've put my faith in what Christ did on the cross, and it is all there. It's all there. I'm saved by grace through faith in what Jesus did on the cross, and all of my hope is in the cross. It's not in me. And that's what I'm going to say. And you know what he's going to say? Come on in. Some of you. I pray no one here spends eternity in hell. But if you do, you're going to remember this moment and this time. And this preacher, this ball-headed, overweight preacher telling you to give your life to Jesus and you said no I'm not going to do that I pray nobody here nobody here hardens their heart scripture says do not harden your heart do not harden your heart today is the day of salvation God desires none should perish but that all may have eternal life Do not harden your heart. If you need to get saved today, you're not sure you're saved. If you were to die and you don't know where you're going to go, I pray there's going to be prayer partners at the end. You come up and you make sure, you make sure that you're right with God. I'll never forget a Bible study I had. This young man came for the first time. His name's Chris. He went to Bear Lakes Middle School. It's the first time he was at the Bible study. And he came with some other guys that weren't really walking with Jesus, but that's kind of who my Bible study was. A lot of people not walking with Jesus. And after the Bible study, these guys, they stole a car, ran away from the law, wrecked the car, ended up within a lake, and that kid named Chris was in eighth grade he died that night but you know what I was saying at the Bible study today's the day of salvation give your life I may see Chris because you're saved by grace not by works not by stealing cars thank God maybe just maybe he asked Christ into his heart I don't know but he's either in heaven or hell just never know He's weeping loudly. Understand, this, is, this Greek word is the same Greek word that Jesus, it says he wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come. And Jesus is weeping over the city that's trying to kill him even though he came to save him, save them. 
same Greek word. It's the same Greek word when Peter denied Christ three times and he left and he wept bitterly. Like, oh, I just walked away from my king. There's this deep brokenness that's here. This is an overwhelming grief. This is an unrestrained emotion. This is a strong, strong weeping. But then comes verse 5. It's kind of like, hey, listen, quit weeping. Quit weeping. This is why you need to be in church, by the way. That's why you need a community of believers around you that might say, hey, quit whining, man. Quit whining. You're going to heaven when you die. It ain't that bad. You need people in your life that can say, hey, weep no more. Weep no more. Focus on the lamb. Focus on the lamb. And this is what this verse is, verse 5. I pray that God burns this into you in such a way that you walk it, that you walk it out. Verse 5, Revelation 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David has conquered. He has conquered. You want to highlight that. That is past tense. He has won. He has the crown. He has the victory. He has it all. He has it all. He's conquered. He's conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. Jesus has won. Now, if we're honest here, if we're honest here, most Christians and will, if I could get my time up, be great. Most Christians are not marked by a conquering life. Can I get a witness? It's struggling, it's failure, it's trials, it's, you know, apathy, complacency, and oftentimes we're not walking in what Christ paid for. We're not walking in Christ. Listen, you are not a victim if you're in Christ. You are a victor. You're not oppressed if you're in Christ. You've won. You've won. Don't let anybody call you oppressed if you are in Christ. This is an important passage of Scripture. And unfortunately, a lot of the philosophies of the world have come into the church so that we don't walk in what Christ paid for. Imagine how Christ feels when I walk around like I'm a victim when he is the victor by his precious blood. It's it's, it's almost kind of offensive that I would offend my Savior or my King By not walking in what he paid for. So, there's a philosophy that has crept into the church that's American, by the way. That the goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. It's the worship of self and the the quest for material comforts. And even in the church, that's kind of how people are rolling. I've seen it in myself, and I've had to be guard, on guard for that because that's not how we're supposed to live, guys. So I want you to write down this word, E-M-O, emo, 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 tivism, tivism, emotivism, emotivism. And emotivism is this. It's the idea that all moral choices are governed by what an individual feels is right. Understand, if you're in ministry and you're working with people, you're going to encounter people who put their feelings above the word of God. This is what I feel. This is my truth. This is what a society produces when everybody gets a trophy. Bro, your team was horrible. You need to practice. You get no trophy today. Work harder. (laughs) 
We are to be people governed by God's word. Not by what we choose is right, not by what we feel is right. We need to be a people that repent of emotivism. We've got to repent of that. God, I renounce being moved by my feelings that go against your word. I renounce that. I do not want to move, move like that. I want to be in touch with your feelings. So how do I feel? really doesn't matter. How do you feel about this, God? Is this how you feel about this, God? It's not stuffing your feelings down. It's saying, okay, why do I feel like that? Because what you believe is what you feel. What you truly, truly believe, because you live out of your beliefs, that's going to produce thoughts and feelings. Thoughts produce feelings. Thoughts produce feelings. And when our thoughts are not lined up and rooted and grounded in God's word, all of a sudden our feelings rule us. I feel so alone. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I feel like I just don't have a family. I don't have anybody. His word says he puts the lonely in families. He is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows and orphans. This is who our God is in his holy habitation. So, God, I just thank you that I might be alone today, but I know my family's coming. I know my family's coming. Why? Because you said you set the lonely in families. And some of you, listen... You feel like you don't have a family, it's because you're not a member of a church. I'm not looking at anybody right now. But bro, when you, when you come, or sis, or bro, or whoever, once every two months, I'm alone. That's given, the church is the family of God. I want you to turn to Revelation 12.10, please. And Will, if you can go ahead and put up that first slide for me, I'd appreciate it. So again, I, I, I just renounce, God, the right to, to be moved by my feelings when they contradict your word. I renounce that right. I renounce that. I want to, I Jesus was filled with compassion so feelings are, are a good thing when they originate from the Spirit of God. When they originate from yourself, apart from God, very dangerous. So, Revelation 12.10. This is how we conquer. This, is, this verse is so quoted so many, so many times, but it's comical to me. So, let's go ahead and... Let's, everybody up here. We, a lot of church folks probably know this. We overcame by what? And a word of his testimony, right? Says so everybody was on cue. Way to go. That's, that's my bad. It's horrible, horrible leadership. I'll fall on the sword. So here's the deal. We, we say this all the time. They overcame by the blood of the lamb, by the word of his testimony. Blood of, right? We've heard that, right? Well, is that all it says? No. What's it say at the end? Look at the end of 11. They love not their lives unto death. The reason why you continue in what you do is because you love your life more than you love God. So when Jesus says in John chapter 8, he says, I always do the things that please my Father. That needs to be my heart. And this gets rid of legalism because it's love that's moving me. Because I love you. Because I love you. I want to do what's pleasing to you. I no longer want to please myself. The reason why most of us have problems and issues is because we want to please ourselves. We don't want to die to ourselves. This isn't a popular teaching, but guess what? Whose teaching is it? It's Jesus' teaching. And because I love you, look, I put this up here before for you. Do you love your life? Have you resisted like this before? Look at Hebrews 12.4 right there. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Maybe in a rare case, somebody's resisted where blood was coming out of their forehead. When Jesus, when he knew he's going to the cross, drops of blood, he said, not my, what, will, but yours. That pressure, that trial, that 
just depth. No one, no one, it says, has resisted to that place. Hey, bro, the struggle's real. The struggle's real. The str- hey, the struggle's real if you're bleeding. Don't come up in here with the struggle's real. Well, Chris, you're not being very compassionate. Look at what it says. You've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's real struggle. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is within you. So you have the power to overcome anything and everything because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the root of Jesse, he has conquered and he's inside of you. So everything you face, you will conquer. You just can't love yourself. You just can't love yourself anymore. Jesus says, Matthew 16, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself. This is Christianity 101. It's not Jesus wants to make you happy and, and he, he, he just wants to bless your life. He, he will. It's going to look a lot different than you think, but the first step is denying yourself. Taking up the cross, that's a painful thing. But I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Well, guess what? Listen, this is it right now. Are you bleeding? Are you bleeding? God, what do you want? Not my will, but yours be done. See, when you love yourself, you won't do that. Deny yourself. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. If you want to find what abundant life is, it starts with denying yourself. Right? All the talk today, right, in the world, right? Oh, this is the pronoun that I identify as. Listen, Christian, here's, here's what I want you to get. Every Christian, this is your pronoun, okay? Your I has to die. Amen. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. And the life I live, I now live by faith in the one who gave himself for me. So my pronoun has changed from I to him. I'm in Christ. When that happens, you'll come into the fullness of who you really are. And there's no more confusion like the rest of the world. Because the Apostle Paul used this phrase more than any other phrase. You know what it is? In Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. This is who we are. This is who we are. Is your struggle so real that you're bleeding? Verse 6. And between the throne... Revelation 5, 6, between the throne, the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This lamb, by the way, in the uh, uh, Greek, is a, it refers to a little lamb or a pet lamb. And if you are a Hebrew child, you knew that four days before the Passover lamb was killed and each family had to offer a Passover lamb to atone for their sins, you would invite the little lamb into your home for four days, and then after the fourth day, you would have to kill it. The reason why God did that is because this precious little innocent lamb would be connected to with the family, with the kids, but then we'd have to kill it. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus, who was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was a foreshadowing that he gave his one and only son. And that little bit of pain for four days because you had a relationship with that little lamb is nothing compared to the pain that Father God went through when he gave up his only son, the lamb without blemish, to take away our sins. And it was a foreshadowing of what was about to take place. This lamb was slain. He is humble. He is gentle. This represents sacrificial love. Will, go ahead and throw up that slide, please. You can write these down at your own time. I would encourage you to meditate on them. But Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world was laid. God always knew he was going to die for you. He always knew he was going to send his son to die for you. 
these passages that are listed, Isaiah 53, that was written 700 years before Christ came. And it says he was pierced for our transgressions. The Roman cross wasn't invented yet. Jesus' hands were pierced. His feet was pierced. Psalm 22, this was written a thousand years before Christ was born. And it says that they have pierced my hands and pierced my feet. Again, Rome wasn't around then. Zechariah 12.10, this is talking about the last days when God opens up the eyes of the children of Israel. We're going to talk about the 144,000, but guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a spirit of grace poured out, and when they look on me, the one whom they pierced. All these piercing passages were before Christ was on the cross. He was the lamb that was slain. He was the lamb that was slain. He deserves glory. This is our great king. He knew he was going to die. He was born to die because he loves you and he loves me. And oh, how easy that is now to surrender my life to this one who died for me. Oh, how we want to follow the lamb. We want to follow the lamb. Six B. Revelation 6b, there were seven horns with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. I want you to understand horns represent strength and power in the Bible, strength and power. The horn of my salvation, it says in Psalms, strength and power. Seven is the number of perfection. That means Jesus the lamb that was slain, he is perfect in absolute strength and absolute power. He is complete in that. And then you see that he has seven eyes. That he has seven eyes. Be right. Thank you, brother. I want you to write down the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. That's 6B. I want you to write above that 2 Chronicles 16.9. We don't have time to go there. 2 Chronicles 16.9. Why is that important? Because this is what that verse says. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, giving strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. The eyes of the Lord... So wait a minute, the, the lamb, the lamb has, there's seven eyes, seven eyes. The eyes of the Lord, yeah, this represents the Holy Spirit of God. This is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Verse 7, and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and, gold, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so when he grabs that scroll, all of this worship and adoration, and praise and honor and blessing breaks out. People are bowing down. They're falling down on the ground. And then you see here in 8b, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers are so precious to God that he keeps them in a bowl. They are like a sweet smelling incense to him. And they're kept in these bowls because you are precious to him. Psalm 141 Verse 2, it says this, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. So our prayers are incense and a sweet aroma to God. And so how is your prayer life, saint? Are you filling up bowls or are your bowls empty? Again, National Day of Prayer is coming. Be a good day to fill up some bowls. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain 
And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and every people, every nation, right? God did that. That word ransomed, it means this. It means purchase redemption. It pictures a slave being purchased at market and then set free. We were a slave to sin, and Christ came, and he freed us from that. Romans 5.8 says that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. We've been rescued out of sin. We've been saved from our sins by Jesus. Now, I want you to turn to Revelation 13.6, please. Revelation 13.6. So here, during the, the, the tribulation, let's just look at verse 7. It says, It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and na- nation. Now, if we see that there, what word is missing from 5.9? It's the word from. These people here on earth, they're belonging to tribes, They're belonging to the nations. They're belonging to a certain language. They're belonging to a people. Now, go back to Revelation 5.9, and I want you to see this because sometimes uh, these, these new prophets have their own agenda that they're trying to proclaim, but they're taking the word of God out of context, missing the very point of what it says, and it says from in verse 9. Do you see that? From. From every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. Listen, this song is about the lamb that was slain. It's about his blood. It's about our redemption. It's about our salvation. And we have made it in this day as something where it's about us. Like we're supposed to celebrate diversity because of this verse. That's not what this verse is about. Do we celebrate that we're created in the image and likeness of God and celebrate that we're diverse? Yeah, but this, isn't, this verse isn't about that because this verse is about where heaven is and we're no longer from that. We're something else now. We're something else. This is very, very important. Because people are using the word of God to justify things that just are not true or right. I want you to understand your tribal bond that you have is not as strong as your marriage bond, according to God's word. In the book of Ruth, it says, your people are now my people. The Bible says to leave and cleave. The Bible says the two shall become what? One. So your marriage bond is stronger than your ethnic tribe or bond. And I want you to understand something. According to Jesus in Matthew twenty-two thirty, 30, when you get to heaven, you're no longer married in heaven. Now, some of us, I'm glad somebody said amen in the first service. That didn't happen this service. That's a hard verse. I don't I don't I don't really like that verse. Understand as well, Zephaniah 3 9 in heaven. There's not multiple languages anymore. But it says he will change the speech of the people to a pure speech. So you're not going to be speaking your own language in heaven. You're not married in heaven. You're going to be transformed. Your body's going to change. There's not going to be uh, different sections in heaven. We're all going to be one, completely transformed, turned into something else. And so we have to be very careful of what we are listening to and what we're reading to justify things that get us off of where we need to be in Christ. Listen, in heaven, you're no longer in your tribe, you're from your tribe. You're no longer in your language, you're from your language. You're no longer connected to your people, you now are now the people of God. And we are supposed to bring that to earth. So tribalism has to go because it's not in heaven. 
were one in Christ, he tore down the wall. Verse 10, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Will, if you can put up that passage, I'd appreciate it. Guys, this is the will of God for you. I wanted you to see this in, 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 in the view of the whole Bible. So in Exodus 19, Moses is supposed to tell the people of Israel, hey guys, you are priests. You are priests of God. Then we get into the New Testament, right? 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Say, I'm a royal priesthood. Yeah, 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 you are. Why are you? Well, Revelation 5, it says, he's freed us from our sins by his blood and made us kingdom priests. His blood made us a kingdom and priests unto our God. His blood did that. You are a priest of God. Are you training like that? Are you training like that? Are you training like you get up every day and you put on that little funny collar and you walk around at your work? Hey, my name is priest so-and-so. You want to take communion today? Revelation 5.10 here, it says, you have made them kingdom priests, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. You're called to reign, guys. You're called to reign. Are you training like his blood made you a priest? Or are you saying, I don't know enough, I don't have enough, I don't, right? Don't do that. You have been made a priest by his blood. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads. Basically, this is the highest number in Greek. They didn't have a, a, a word. It's, it's an uncountable number. And thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice. This was a triumphal shout. Sometimes at the, at, when we worship, guys, listen, these people are worshiping loud. Hey, Chris, you're too loud. No, I'm just biblical. You know, I had to get that in, guys. Anyway. Worthy is the lamb with a loud voice who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. They offer the same worship to Jesus Christ as they do to God the Father. This combined worship of God the Father and the Lamb is a testimony and a witness to the deity of Jesus Christ. He is God. If Christ were not God, this would be idolatry. Because even angels don't receive worship. But Christ receives it. He is worthy. The Holy Spirit also receives it. Why? Because we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in chapter 4 and also chapter 5. The seven spirits of God. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. The seven eyes. The eyes, right? So the Holy Spirit's receiving worship as well. To the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen means let it be. I agree, make it happen. Sometimes we say amen to things we shouldn't. Amen? Worship team, if you can come forward. Prayer partners, if you can come forward. Will, if you could throw the four questions that um, I want you to think about here that we went over through this text. Have you surrendered your life to him, placing all of your life in his hands? Is your struggle so real that you're bleeding? What's your plan for filling up those bowls, right? What's your prayer life looking like? 
You have been made a priest. Are you training like you're a priest? Are you training like you're a priest? Again, we started off this video with Joseph, who was su- went from suicidal, one year later, full-time ministry. Full-time ministry, pouring into the next generation of leaders. One year. One year. Because he said, I'm going to train like a priest. So, Father, I pray that... Uh, you, Jesus, would get all that you deserve from us. And as we focus our gaze upon you now, we thank you, Jesus, that you have conquered. You have conquered everything. Every struggle, every trial, everything in our life, we will overcome it through your blood. I thank you, Jesus, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that we are more than conquerors. I thank you, Jesus, that we are the head and not the tail as we stand in you. I thank you, Jesus, that we have the victory because the line of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Give us the faith, God, to come into your victory, to walk as if the lion of the tribe of Judah, that conquering lion is inside of us. Help us to live like we believe. Father, I pray for those who who might not be born again. They've never responded to the cross. They've never surrendered. I pray, Holy Spirit, as we begin to sing, that you'll just draw people forward. I pray for those right now that are struggling with things, whether an addiction, whether it is a fear of man, whether it is apathy, complacency, God, that you would just draw people so that we can come into this, this, this conquering lifestyle, this abundant life that you called us to. So, Jesus, have your way as we kiss towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.